Hello again and welcome. This is uh, Pastor Ken Ortiz. I'm the uh, leading pastor at Calvary Spokane in Spokane, Washington. And uh, this podcast, which we call What the World is Coming to, is really an attempt to try to do as they did in First Chronicles 12.32, where it says the men of Issachar understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. So what I do in these um, off and on podcasts is to really kind of take a look at what's going on in the world and see if we can see a correlation between the various uh, major events that are taking place, especially on an international basis, and see if they connect to things that we see happening uh, in our own individual cities, nations uh, around the world. Um, we call these the signs of the end times, and uh, many of us believe that we are living in those periods which Jesus described as the end days. And so uh, we want to be watching and waiting, as Jesus said, to be alert and uh, be focused on what's going on so that that day does not catch us unawares, as Jesus put it. Uh, the topic today, or at least the title of this topic, I call the Pandemia of 2024. And it's really kind of a uh, continuation of what we talked about last time about the growth of totalitarianism in the world. Um, but also it's a really kind of a cheap way of kind of uh, piggybacking on uh, George Orwell's 1984, where he described a, a uh, fictional place called Oceana, which was ruled by a totalitarian oligarchy. Oligarchy, if you're not familiar with the term, it's uh, from the Greek oligoi, which means a few, and, and archi means few rulers. So what you have is a small group of people who literally um, control everything. They make the rules and they enforce the rules. And so it creates a super state that they uh, can really kind of form into what they think it the best shape is in. It, it should be very obvious to most of us, but for some people it isn't, that there really is such an oligarchical group in the world today. I mean, we've talked about the World Economic Forum and the members of that particular organization. Basically, they're the most powerful, wealthiest, influential people from every area, from military to government to corporate and, and so forth, banking and, and everything else like of that order. And uh, they believe that they have really a, a responsibility and I say this in the in the most uh, sincere way. They really believe that they're responsible to save the world and to reformat it so that it's a fair place. If you don't think that's the their intention, you just simply re need to go to the a World Economic Forum website and, and read their own statement that they see a transformation, particularly the uh, reduction, the reducing of what they call the American uh, hegemony, our, our control over the direction or the economy of the world and to replace it with something that is representative of a you might say a market basket of nations, the 10 most powerful or influential economically important nations in the world would basically be the governing party. And uh, even though they may have some uh, democratic institutions within it, ultimately, uh, all of the uh, national governments are, are overruled by this uh, plebiscite of the most powerful uh, nations uh, with the most powerful leaders that are in the world today. But the idea of, of Oceania's rule, as Orwell talked about it, was that it would have this basically a, a kind of uh, what we would call a neologanism, a new way of talking about something that that's part of Orwell's ideas. You change the vocabulary, you use common words and you give them new meanings. And as a consequence, uh, you can alter people's way of thinking about stuff. 
And that's something that uh, commercial advertising has found uh, useful over the years. But it's increasingly something we see more and more in the political realm when we find that the word democracy now doesn't really mean what it used to mean. It, it means somehow that this small group of people speak on the behalf of everybody else and, and we need to recognize their superior wisdom. Uh, but basically what Orwell's concerned was Marxism, that it's interesting because he himself was a socialist, but he saw the evil under the Marxist system, particularly as expressed in the Soviet Union. And so he says basically in Oceania, that's the ruling doctrine. And it's interesting because essentially what we're looking at is the same kind of oligarchy that is based upon a Marxist sort of view. And the Marxist view is not about people at all. Marxism basically believes that government should rule over uh, the mass and that basically people are not smart enough or self-controlled enough to make their own best decisions. So you have to have this uh, political machinery that makes the decision for us. The biggest downfall of Marxism and its expressions in, in China, in Russia, and other places like that, Cuba, Venezuela, is that it's run basically by technocrats. And technocrats are people who uh, evaluate everything based upon statistics. Now, as Mark Twain pointed out, that one of the big dangers of statistical analysis is he said that there are three kinds of lies. The first kind is uh, just basically telling white lies. The second one he called damnable lies. And then the third one was what he called statistics. Because the thing with statistics is there's two ways of analyzing a statistic. There's, the, uh, there's basically uh, looking at it in a static way, which technocrats tend to do. They Nine out of ten dentists use uh, this particular brand of toothpaste, so that's the only toothpaste we'll make. That's the way a technocrat tends to look at things. Uh, but there's also uh, dynamic analysis, which realizes that every situation is more than the statistics that you gather. And one of the things we've seen over the last uh, couple of years is how that statistics have been used uh, to distort the seriousness of the current pandemic. I think it was notable that uh, this week that uh, the head of the CDC, Walensky, came out and said that uh, um, admitted that 75% of people who were registered at COVID deaths had at least four different comorbidities that caught, led to the death. So they didn't die of COVID. They happened to die with COVID. And we're even finding more evidence and more admissions coming out that in various places, many people who are being registered as COVID victims or COVID illnesses, in fact, uh, didn't even test positive for COVID because it was a financial advantage to the medical profession to have uh, registered people as being uh, sick with COVID and put in the hospital with COVID. And yet we're finding, especially with younger people, the vast majority, uh, like 99% of them, uh, didn't even test positive for COVID, but they were just registered as such in order to get the extra funding from the federal government. So it's kind of a sad, sad thing you look at it. But at the heart of it, uh, technocrats hate capitalism uh, because capitalism is basically a free market system. And capitalism gets a, a bad rap, uh, particularly because Marx didn't like it. It's interesting. Marx was a lazy slob who uh, had terrible personal habits and made his family's life miserable and, and never did an honest day's work in his life. He came for privilege and he demanded to be uh, entitled his entire life. And you can understand the appeal of of a socialist system where he wouldn't be required to produce anything except uh, a lot of words. But the bottom line is that 
they, they hate capitalism because you're responsible in capitalism for your results. That uh, it get, capitalism, when it's done properly, provides equality of opportunity, but it doesn't have a, an equity of outcome. You, and that's the difference is that if you work hard, you'll prosper. And if you don't work hard, you won't. And that's a simple truism that can't be denied by anybody who lives in the real world. Uh, and that's not saying that some people have to overcome some great disadvantages. Life is not fair. We're not born smart. We're not born powerful. We're not, not born fast. Uh, I think it's unfair that I was never allowed to play in the NBA, other than the fact that I'm not tall enough, fast enough, can't shoot, and don't have that great physical coordination or skills. So besides those things that I wasn't given at birth, they should have let me be in the NBA just simply because I wanted to. That's the kind of thinking of a, of a Marxist mentality that everybody should be able to do whatever they want to do, uh, regardless of whether or not they have the ability or are good at it. Um, the rest of us should be in place to pay for it. So basically, in order to uh, kind of impose that kind of system on people, you have to suppress their freedom of thought. Uh, that you, you can't let people just sit back and think about it saying, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Because as soon as they do that, it begins to cause the whole system to collapse. That's one of the reasons why Solzhenitsyn in the last essay that he wrote before he was exiled out of the Soviet Union was called uh, Live Not By Lies. And he, his whole concept of what he proposed in that essay was to simply say, if we just simply refuse to agree to the things that they say that aren't true, if we won't believe their lies anymore, we just simply, he says, we don't even have to speak out against them. We just, in our mind, know that they're just not true and we're not going to allow our decisions or our behavior to be controlled by that anymore. He said the entire system would collapse. And that's the bottom line because you... You have to understand that I don't care how despotic a government has to be, how tyrannical it is, it can't rule without the cooperation of enough people to keep it in place. And oftentimes we find that, uh, you know, uh, dictatorial nations or, or rulers are overthrown when finally those around them simply say, we simply will not allow you to continue to force us into your system. And many times you find, for example, when when the troops were called to, in, in the Soviet Union were called to fire on the citizens, the, basically the troops said, we won't kill our, our own people. And as a result, the Soviet Union could no longer sustain itself and it fell apart, apart very quickly. Part of this is why I call this, instead of Oceania, like Orwell's, I call it pandemia, because right now we find that uh, the effort to use the pandemic is really falling in line with what we've talked before, the Great Reset and things of that nation, nature, which are really efforts to to uh, really get us all to uh, run in fear in the same direction. Now, although the Bible doesn't use the word totalitarianism, what it does describe when it talks about the kingdom of the beast uh, is really a totalitarian master state. Uh, and basically, the idea is to control the bottom line. That is, in other words, money is the answer to all things, Solomon said. And so if you can control what people can buy and what they can sell, then you can control every people and every economy. But how do you get people to agree to let you do that? How do you get people to get you to throw away their freedoms? And the same techniques have been used from the very earliest days. And in the communist, uh, uh, in the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, what they used is chaos and confusion. There was so much upheaval and turmoil, people just said, somebody has to be in control. Somebody has to put an end to these endless strikes and rebellions and violence and, and terrorist attacks and so forth. And so eventually they just simply supported the Bolsheviks because they wanted peace and order. 
And the same thing happens, it was happening here in the United States when in uh, 2021 we had 247 uh, riots break out around, or excuse me, 547 riots break out around the United States in all these cities led by BLM and Antifa and, and such groups. And the idea of their, their communist uh, Marxist masters is to create so much disruption that people will finally say, we just need to do something. Uh, you know, even calling for the National Guard to come in and set it is really a disturbing thought because when you bring in the National Guard, you're talking about using the arm of the federal government to essentially stop a community riot, which should of and could have been easily done with the local law enforcement. But it was a fact that they had first sought to defund and to sideline local law enforcement by virtue of many of the governors and mayors of those cities and states, and then eventually allowing the National Guard to come in, which are under the command of the governor, but they're still part of the national federal military system to come in and bring peace and order. Suddenly you're introducing federal control on a local government. Now, many people don't understand that our federal kind of, uh, kind of system, that our republic was built in the idea that the states had many rights that were guaranteed and the federal government had no right to intrude on them. And part of those things are elections, their, their law and order, and those things of that nation nature, and uh, when you begin to when when local governments and state governments begin to outsource those responsibilities to the federal government, you begin to lose that local control. In other words, your voice as a citizen becomes diminished, and suddenly you have uh, the government doing what it often does is overreach, like we're seeing before the Supreme Court right now. The question of is it right to for the for the government to put vaccine mandates on anybody, on any level. And the point is that they themselves, Biden and many others, admitted early on that they did not have that legal statutory right to do that. They would have the right to enforce a mandate. Here again, Biden recently said, well, uh, the federal government can't solve the pandemic, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, was pretty obvious to everybody, even back when Trump was the president. And he never tried to do that. But Basically, what they do is they try to create so much confusion. An ultimate goal is to create fear. And that's what we've been subjected to is really an onslaught of fear and a campaign of fear mongering where we're made to be afraid of everything. We're afraid of COVID, uh, afraid of the climate, uh, afraid of crime, uh, being afraid of our next door neighbors for fear that they, they will give us a, a life threatening disease simply by being within in less than six feet. Uh, uh, circumference of where we are. There's a. It's really interesting because there's a, there's a concept that now is beginning to get spoken of more and more. It's called mass formation psychosis, and you can look up a lot of different uh, articles about it right now. But what it is, it's kind of a form of mass hypnosis, and it happens when you get a large portion of the population. Uh, so overwhelmed with conflicting information, uh, whether it's about COVID or it's about crime or it's about the climate change and disaster and all these kind of things, you just kind of inundate people. Um, <laughs> the key way is to simply watch CNN or MSNBC, and you get people so upset that they simply don't know what to believe anymore. And that's the idea. You know, you find that what people do, their first step is kind of withdraw and say, well, I just don't want to talk about it. In fact, I find that even within the church, maybe even especially in the church, they say, let's just talk about Jesus and let's not talk about any of the other things 
that, by the way, I believe are related to the second coming of Jesus. So I don't get the head in the the sand uh, approach, but that is the one that many people take because they're just simply psychologically, mentally, emotionally overwhelmed. And I think I love what one writer put it this way. He says, when you have a society that has become decoupled from each other, what do you mean decoupled? Well, we're no longer connected. And you do that. Look at what's happened. Lockdowns, masks, social distancing, uh, shaming if you're not vaccinated, canceling if you say the right thing, being banned from certain uh, platforms for having the wrong ideas or the ones that's not approved. Or even in places like Australia where they're actually incarcerating people who, they, who have simply been exposed to COVID. They may test negative, but they knew somebody had COVID, so they put them in these places. But basically, it says when you have people, they become decoupled from each other. then they began to have a kind of a free-floating anxiety. Part of that is we rely upon other people to give us a sense of what's true and false, what what really uh, is, is reality. And then after a while, people are walking around. They're, they're kind of stressed because they things don't make sense anymore. They can't understand anything. They don't know why things are there. They're, they go in the store and the shelves are empty and they have no good explanation. Well, they say the supply chain is broken down, but why is it broken down? And nobody seems to have an answer or a solution. And if it is, it's basically all become political so that our, we uh, politics are now governing our conversation completely. And that, that's when you find at that point when people can no longer figure out what's going on and makes heads and their tails of what's happening, that their attention gets focused by a leader or a, or, a, or a series of events on one small point. And that's what hypnosis does. It gets you to put all your attention on one small point and then they take control of your thought processes. And that's literally becomes, people become hypnotized and when they do, they can be led anywhere. Uh, The greatest example of that was Adolf Hitler who basically established a thousand year Reich or reign and basically it lasted 12 years. But he was able to convince an entire nation of over 30 million people to follow him off the edge of the cliff simply because he had so convinced them that uh, the Jews and communists and, and, and socialists and others were the blue meanies and they needed to be destroyed. And at all costs, if we don't do it, it's kind of like if he'd had the terminology, he would have called it an existential danger. And uh, he led people into an effort, allowed him to do some horrible things things that they would like to say they didn't know about, but we know now from the evidence <laughs> that they were they knew what was going on, maybe not as bad, but they knew some bad things were going on. But they just kind of ignored it because they believed in the end it would lead to their greater safety and to their greater good. That's always the thinking of extreme groups. And that's why what they do is they seek to create first that confusion by misinformation. And I mean, if we take the the pandemic or the phobemic, I like to call it because I don't think it was ever a pandemic. It was a serious epidemic and it was deadly to a very small, about 0.2% of the world's population. But basically they terrified the world and by their false reports, uh, false Basically, uh, they draw these, uh, schedule out these ideas of how this thing is going to grow and said that they told President Trump that if he didn't lock the country down immediately, there would be, you know, uh, two million Americans would be dead of COVID within three months. And, you know, he's not a scientist. He doesn't know any better, but he was sort of surrounded by a bunch of, um, uh, hmm, I'm not allowed to use the word. Anyway, but think about it. Even with the, when the vaccine came on the scene, we're told that if you get vaccinated, you can't get COVID. 
But now we find that people are getting COVID. In fact, I have uh, one of my friends from Israel who, Israel's the most vaccinated country in the world. And uh, they have something like 85 plus percent of the population has been vaccinated. Uh, my friend has had, uh, you know, both the Pfizer shots and, uh, and he, got com- he got COVID-19. And then after we recovered that, now he has Omicron. And so you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a crazy thing. But we find that not only can you get COVID, uh, they said you can't get the variants. And now they're pushing very hard for people to get vaccinated so that they can not get infected with the Omicron. But at the same time, we know that something like 75% of the people who have Omicron are now are people who have already been vaccinated. So there's a lower infection rate amongst people who are unvaxxed and have natural immunity than people who have been vaccinated. We were told all the time, remember, that vaccines are safe, so don't worry about them. And yet we know that they're safe for most people, as far as we know. We'll have to see what the long-term effects of the vaccine are seven to 10 years from now, because that's how long they usually take to develop a vaccine. But in, in the short term, they seem to be safe for most people. Yet we believe that there's at least 100,000 people now that actually the CDC just admitted that last week. There's over 100,000 people who had serious uh, side effects from the vaccine. Uh, Some actually uh, died because of it. Many got their second shot and dropped dead. So, you know, it's not to call it safe is really uh, maybe partially true, but it's an exaggeration. And then we basically were told that therapeutics uh, that are available are not safe which I even my own, the medical group I was formerly with, sent me a letter telling me that therapeutics don't work and don't bother trying them. And uh, the bottom line was when I got COVID-19, I got the Delta variant, which is a, a wicked thing. Um, I took hydrochloroquine. I took uh, ivermectin. I took so many different things. That my doctor would not sign off of me getting uh, the uh, monoclonals, and uh, uh, which is one of the reasons I've changed doctors. But the bottom line is that there are all these things out there. I mean, they're finding every day new things that are helpful. They find that eating licorice can be helpful. I mean, of all things, who would have thought that? But what about, I think the most surprising one is they found that large doses of, of, uh, of Viagra actually help open up the lungs and keep them from shutting down uh, from the infection. So, I mean, who would have guessed that? Who knew that? Um, but the bottom line is there are all these therapeutics, and yet they haven't they, you hear nothing about them. They never mention them. And suddenly, when, when uh, Florida started using the monoclonal antibodies, then suddenly the supply dries up and the federal government no longer is issuing them. They cut them in half overnight for no explanation. And now they have no explanation or reason or why they aren't uh, releasing what the stockpiles that they do have. So it's, 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 it's really a crazy thing and it causes you, is it just driving the economics that, uh, of the uh, pharma, big pharma because they are huge donors to the, uh, uh, the Democratic Party and to many in the Republican Party, but is that just driving it or is there some greater plan in mind? Well, one of the things that gets confusing about looking at the end times is there's always, often, if not always, overlapping interests and overlapping motivations that two groups can work together because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they all hope that when it comes to the push and shove and you have to go one way or the other, that they'll be able to overcome the other group and they'll take charge and take control. Um, it's the same way that Bolsheviks worked with the, the Democrats uh, in, in, um, <laughs> in Russia until they got strong enough 
enough to crush them and take over and drive out all the other communist parties that were trying to vie for power as well. And then there's the whole idea as if natural immunities don't exist. We have those kind of lies where Biden is saying, and I don't think he, I can't say that Biden is lying. I don't think he knows what he's saying. I think he's just reading off the teleprompter, but saying things like, you know, that basically that this is an epidemic of the unvaxxed when there's absolutely no evidence. In fact, all the evidence points the other way and failure even to recognize that there's such a thing as natural immunities. And yet we know one Israeli study looked at 835,000 people and found that people with uh, natural immunity, in other words, they had COVID and recovered, had 6.7 times more uh, T cells and, and, and immunity to, uh, the, to the COVID than people who had gotten not only two shots, but the boosters and everything else with it. Along with that, you have kind of the, the mass persuasion that goes with this. I mean, the medical profession has virtually been silenced. I know of doctors who basically said, if I mention anything about any of this stuff, I will be, I'll have my license pulled. So they, in an effort to you know, save their jobs, uh, have been willing to compromise their conscience and not tell the whole truth. Uh, I'm not saying that there aren't doctors out there who have drunk the Kool-Aid. I find that there's a lot of them. But the bottom line is that um, they have been silenced. The medical profession has pretty much been silenced, if not compromised. Uh, you look at TV commercials, celebrities, and all these people going on. I see them all the time saying, get the vaccine, it's safe. And, and they say, you need to do it for your kids and get your kids vaccinated. All which goes a completely contrary to what we know scientifically. In fact, one of the articles that I came across I thought was really interesting is that uh, it was a New York Times uh, media report, and they said in it, in addition to the efforts by the White House, state and local governments have begun paying local micro-influencers, that is, those people with 5,000 to 100,000 followers on Twitter or whatever, they pay them up to $1,000 a month to promote COVID-19 vaccine to their followers. And it's crazy because they're, they're using social influencers. And so when you see these people who uh, all of a sudden are saying, hey, and by the way, get the vaccine, you have to ask the question, are they being paid to do that? $1,000 a month is quite a bit of money for just saying, hey, be sure and get your vaccine. It's the best thing you can do. Think about your neighbor. You want to love everybody else and take care of them. And they keep on saying that and they say that over and over again. In fact, it becomes kind of a, a, a way of uh, virtue signaling and coercing other people. But then there's, I think, the most scary thing is what we, I would call legal coercion. And we see this. Well, let me just read you some of the headlines that I've, I, I've come across over the last few weeks. That first one, one says, Australia is now banning the unvaxxed from leaving home except for essentials. In fact, they're flying heat-seeking drones over, over neighborhoods to see if there's more than the allowed number of people in your home. And if there is a larger number, then the authorities actually go there, knock on the door, and arrest whoever is there, and you get in big trouble because you have allowed yourself to be uh, basically uh, involved in a cover-up of letting a somebody who is not part of your immediate family into your home. Uh, the worst probably is that they've set up COVID camps. And the idea is these are quarantine camps. And some people say, yeah, they're just like luxury vacations. I saw some pictures of it. I heard the testimonies of some people. And basically, you are in lockdown. You have this little tiny place. It's Maybe it's nice. You're given food every day. But you have to sit there. You can't really go out and interact with anybody. And if you have to go do your laundry, you have to wear a mask. And if you don't, they'll arrest you and it's crazy, but you think about any kind of camp that people are being forced to into, especially when there are people who have tested negative. 
But because they were associated with somebody who had COVID, then you therefore have to be quarantined. It's the craziest thing that, that we've ever seen, but it's happening not just in Australia, it's happening in places like New Zealand, it's happening in many places around the world. In fact, in Germany, they've uh, started imposing curbs on people who are unvaccinated, they're making the shots a mandatory thing, they're banning people who are unvaxxed from all but the most essential stores, they can't you know really do anything except buy food, and they're under the most strict requirements you can possibly think of. You know, in Austria, you go out in the street and you have to show your papers, your vaccine papers, your, your, you know, on your phone, you got to show them that you have been vaccinated. Greece, as interesting, is, is making COVID vaccines mandatory for everyone who's over 60. You just you don't have any choice. You're over 60, you have to get the vaccine and, or else pay $114 a month. And $114 a month to elderly people in Greece is a massive amount of money, let me tell you. Uh, Canada is really amazing because we <laughs> we hear stories from people who are in Canada. It's just unbelievable, not just the arrest of pastors who refuse to close their churches. That's one issue all in itself, but also the huge fines that are being levied against businesses. And it's interesting, Quebec, to show their liberalism, is going to now allow the residents of the city to walk their dogs at night as long as they remain one uh, within one kilometer of their homes. So you can walk your dog and go one. I mean, I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I can go, you know, two thirds of a mile away from my home. But other than that, uh, I have to walk my dog and I have to do it at night. And I can't do, can't interact with other people. Even here in the States, Nevada has become the first state to impose a surcharge on unvaccinated workers. If you have a job and you're not vaccinated, you have to pay a financial penalty uh, as well as wear a mask and social distancing and all the rest of that. And basically, it's an inducement for employers not to hire you or to let you go and replace you. Uh, fortunately, there's so many people who prefer to stay home right now <clears throat> because they found other ways to live off the government dole that as a consequence, they have trouble finding people. So it's a real conundrum. So, I mean, I've gone into I was in Tennessee, walked in a restaurant full of empty seats, and I said, well, is this because of COVID restrictions? They said, no, we can't get any servers. So they, they, could, they could only allow a handful, about a tenth of the number of people who could sit in the restaurant were allowed to, to make it take seats because they didn't have enough servers to serve all the tables. It had nothing to do with COVID. People just didn't want to go to work. Um, in fact, the White House is talking about requiring all international travelers, including U.S. citizens, to get tested and then quarantined even if the results are negative. In fact, we've had, we were planning on a trip to Israel, as we've done every year for you know, the last few decades, and we finally had to suspend it because of the uh, onerous restrictions that Israel uh, is putting on people coming into the country. They're literally destroying their tourist industry which is, makes up one-fourth of their economy. So they must have some other way of making that up. But here, the thing that's fascinating to me is that just what you had to do. We Basically, if we took a group to Israel, even if they were vaccinated, they had to be tested before they went. And then as soon as you land, you have to be tested. And then they had to isolate for 24 hours. If they proved positive, then they had to stay in isolation for two weeks. There goes your entire tour. Uh, and even if they test negative, then every other day we had to go in and get another PCR test to make sure that we hadn't contacted. And if at any time during the trip you test positive, then you have to quarantine. And uh, again, on your own dime, you have to stay in a special hotel set up for that. I mean, it was like I couldn't do that to anybody. I just a fear that somebody would po test positive at some point and really ruin their whole experience was enough to discourage me from even 
being willing to do that. And that's really, I think, where the idea of vaccine mandates becomes so onerous because it's just one step. If we allow our governments to do things that are illegal, especially in the United States, it's contrary to the Constitution and, and many state constitutions. But if we allow them to do this, then we basically open the door and we'll find that mandates will start rolling off the pen uh, faster than, than they can print them. Because what they're after is command and control. These people who are in these positions of leadership today really believe that they need to take command and control of the United States government and every other government to direct it in the way that they think is in the best interest of humanity long term. So the last thing I think we have is we end up with kind of a hysterical hyperbole coming from all sorts of interesting stories that the basically that, for example, with COVID, you're unvaxxed, you're a threat to us all. Or if you're not driving an electric car, uh, you don't care about the welfare of other people. You're not striving to be uh, carbon neutral and on and on and on it goes. But uh, in fact, there was an interview on CNN with a, uh, a professor of bioethics and a guy named Arthur Kaplan. Uh, and it was amazing what the guy said. He, he basically was saying that uh, people who aren't vaccinated are unethical. And they're, uh, they're unloving, they're uncaring, they don't care about their neighbors, uh, they're, they're a threat to uh, people who are weak and vulnerable and don't care about the long-term work. In fact, he called people who are unvaccinated jerks who aren't going to do that. They aren't going to get uh, protect others by getting the vaccine. And I, I love this, where he goes on, he goes, let's get the equation straight. And people may be thinking, well, so what? What difference does it make where we put a moral emphasis? In other words, he says this should be a moral issue. Whether if you get if you're unvaxxed, you are an immoral person. And he says shame, guilt, calling people out when they're not doing the right thing, which is to get vaccinated. I don't see moral equivalency if you're not doing that, doing the right thing by getting vaccinated by by trying to get tested when you can find the test by trying to take precautions when you're around the weak and the vulnerable. And uh, he goes on, we're going to be talking about COVID this time next year if we don't get more people to do the right thing. In other words, the idea of vaccination, which is funny because he's a professor of bioethics, but he seemed to un not know much about science whatsoever. He goes on and says, so we can't write them off. We can penalize them more. We can say you're going to pay more in your hospital bill if you weren't vaccinated. You can't get life insurance or disability insurance at affordable rates if you aren't vaccinated. These companies should not treat us as equals in terms of what the financial burdens are that this disease imposes. I mean, you think about all of this is basically saying we need to segregate those who have unvaxxed and make sure that we punish them, even if they have natural immunity, even if they're not a carer, even we find that people with natural immunity are less likely to transmit, if not, it's hardly unknown of transmitting COVID if you've been uh, had natural immunity. It's the people who've been vaccinated that are transmitting it the most, and yet they completely ignore that as they go into this uh, hysterical hyperbole. I just really have to wonder, is this guy mentally stable, or does he have an agenda behind saying these kind of things? Well, one of the things that I find fascinating, but continue on here for a bit, as COVID begins to wane, and it's starting to, I mean, right now, as I said, the CDC admits that 75% of the people who were called COVID deaths died with COVID, not of COVID. Um, and it's fascinating because what it does do, it reduces the number of dead to 200,000 at the most, and maybe even less than that, rather than the 800 and some thousand that keep on saying. Um 
they so I think this is kind of interesting. So what they're finding is not only have their policies been incredibly disastrous, have not been effective, and why they settled on the vaccine-only approach is something that uh, we'll probably discover after uh, legal investigations take place in the future, if there is a future. But there's also the question is, is there a method to their madness? I think it's, for example, now I think we're going to shift from COVID. We're going to start hearing more and more about climate change and how that the world is facing that quote unquote existential disaster, which is kind of ironic as much of the country is facing some of the coldest winter in decades. We're told that even that is due to climate change. Remember, they used to call it global warming. Well, the globe wasn't warming. So what they had to do is give a new name and they came up with climate change. And, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in climate change. I, I, I see it four times a year. We have four seasons here. The climate changes dramatically. Uh, some winters are warmer. Some winters are colder. Um, some summers are wetter and some are drier. We see climate change here on a regular basis. But the thing that's really interesting to me is that um, we're basically supposed to be afraid. They want us to be terrified. They want us to be fr- frightened. And, in fact, there was one Cambridge research paper that basically stated that the way to solve the climate change problem is to take an authoritarian approach, basically go full-born dictatorship. Basically, the guys on top, they tell you what you do, and we need to submit to it. Well, is there any good news in all of this? Well, one of it is that no matter how bad it gets, Jesus is going to come back. And uh, I think as Christians, I mean, very, very seriously, I mean this. I think that when we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by the things, the evil that we see in the moment, we lose sight of the fact that we weren't created for time, that we were created for eternity, that we need to fix our eyes on the prize of the high calling. And the church has always been subjected to adversarial uh, dynamics within every culture, nation around the world throughout our history. And as Tertullian said, the, 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 the blood of the saints is the seed of the church, and the church has grown under persecution, as it did, is doing even now in places like South America, in China, in Africa, and other places where previously um, it was basically uh, heavily persecuted and still continues to be in many ways. But I think what's, what's even encouraging, there's a recent uh, research study, a group called Gray Matter and Infinity Concepts, did a research in evangelicals and asked them 14 questions about how they feel about the church and what they would like to see in the future going into the church. And I was really shocked by some of the results, particularly the one that fewer than 10% of evangelical Protestants believe that the sermons should be shorter. In fact, nearly a third of them said they want more in-depth, longer sermons. Now, that's music to my ears. You know, I mean, I, that's my sweet spot. But it's funny because you, when you talk to people, and I talk to even many Christian leaders, they think that we, you know, basically, if you go more than 20 minutes, people just can't concentrate that long. And I agree, there are people like that. But you know what? People learn how to concentrate longer. And if what you're talking to them is relevant to what's going on in their life, instead of some theological abstraction that they don't even really quite understand, we we can go on in hours about some theological concept and not connect it to where people are today, then you've got a problem. 
And so one of the things I've found is we've done these kind of series, this podcast and my teaching series. You can get those, uh, find the you know full series of, of messages that I've done in the end times called What's the World Coming to on the Calvary Spokane website. Uh, but as we go through those over the years, what I've always tried to do is saying, this is what the scripture says and here's what's going on in the world today. And I find that people are fascinated by that. They want to know. They want to understand. And when they begin to see the Word of God speaks about the future and not just the present or even the past, then there's a fire that starts burning in them. And they have this sense in themselves, a confidence. I know where my life is going. I know what's going on. I know the direction that I need to pursue. And I know the things that are, are, are wrong and evil. And they suddenly they start finding the Bible. And then after they read the Bible and get to know it, they start finding their own voice because the Holy Spirit gives them words that they can begin to share with other people. It's pretty exciting to see that development in people, but it comes from spending time in the Word and particularly understanding the relevance of the Word to not only the present moment, but also to the future. So my word is know the words. Right now uh, on Sunday mornings, we're going through a series that you can get online, find it at Calvary Sp- calvarysspokane.com, or you can... Uh, you can, uh, um, so a lot of them are on, on YouTube as well or Facebook. Um, we live stream it as well, but I know some people, some of you are in parts of the world where that's not convenient. But I've been looking at a particular series, looking at what I call the seven major events that uh, lead up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so um, I encourage you to uh, tune in and follow along. I, I trust and pray and hope that you'll find it fascinating. And I thank you again for taking the time to sit and listen to me as I have gone on and on about a lot of stuff. But tell you the truth, these are the kind of things I think about a lot. And I I just really hope that we can keep ourselves uh, not hiding away, not putting our head in the sand and saying, I don't want to hear about anymore because I'm confused. But basically to lift up our eyes and to be aware and to be alert and see what's going on around us so that we are not caught unawares. Many blessings. Thank you for standing in the faith and uh, fighting the good fight of faith. Uh, Many blessings upon you and yours. In Jesus' name, amen.